Welcome to the third season of That's So Second Millennium, the Catholic science podcast where we explore the fascinating borderlands between science and theology through realms of philosophy, human experience, and more. Welcome back to That's So Second Millennium, episode 133. This is hopefully our first interview with Matthew Cloud of Holy Cross College. He is a cybersecurity expert, computer science expert, also uh, has done work in biomedical engineering and networking. And he is trying to put together a computer science program at Holy Cross College. He is a Catholic convert as well. He has a fascinating set of perspectives on the philosophy and theology of cybersecurity and he has uh, really a sales pitch to uh, to make to especially the younger members of the audience who might uh, consider that as a career path that really can serve people um, and the demographics of that, you know, why it is that so few Americans, so few people born in the United States get into computer science fields as well as STEM fields in general as someone who's been educating people at Holy Cross and at Ivy Tech. Um, for those of you who are not from Indiana, Ivy Tech is a uh, community college system in the state of Indiana. In fact, I taught there once one upon once upon a time. I taught physical science for a semester at Ivy Tech in Indianapolis. So in any case, uh, he's a great speaker. Um, he's, well, I mean, he's a, he's a very engaging conversationalist. And uh, yeah, basically can't wait to bring you more of him. So Hopefully this is just the first of many. Bill Schmidt here. As an adjunct professor teaching English at Holy Cross College in Notre Dame, Indiana, I met Matthew Cloud, who had joined our college as professor of the practice in computer science. I've discovered a great communicator and a real connection maker, helping a a robustly Catholic liberal arts college to integrate more of the latest digital tools into our values-based teaching. Matthew has been a driving force with the help of prestigious national grants for a win-win mission related to cybersecurity. First, the IT segments of countless companies in our country and world need more cybersecurity personnel. Second, this is a great source of meaningful careers available for well-prepared students, including the underprivileged who grasp the big picture of the common good. Matthew holds a bachelor's degree from Texas A&M and a master's degree in biomedical engineering, jointly from the University of Texas and the UT Southwestern Medical School. He's on a multi-university management team funded by the National Center for Academic Excellence in Cybersecurity. He loves connecting state-of-the-art computing to subjects like philosophy. And this relatively relative newcomer to Catholicism really wants to help today's students make a difference in our world. He explained that difference with Dr. Paul Giesting and me in this recent conversation, which we joined in progress. Paul and I are already having a a very enjoyable uh, conversation with um, uh, Professor Matthew Cloud. Uh, he's a professor of the practice in the department of, is it a department, uh, Matthew? It's the uh, program of computer science. It's the program of computer science at Holy And we're Cross in the College. department, yep. And uh, it, is it within uh, a, a technical department? It is, in the, well, it's in the department of, of, of science. So natural okay. sciences and, and physical sciences, right, yeah. And that's something that the Holy Cross is also uh, just expanding in various ways, the sciences, and uh, and uh, you're really very much uh, in a role that's it's helping to expand um, the uh, information sciences and information technology. Right, yeah. We, we have a biology bachelor's degree uh, that started about five years ago uh, with Dr. Rod Robichaud, and uh, he is the department chair for all of the sciences. Um, and so the next STEM based program they wanted to add was computer science. Hmm. Um, we've got the minor that starts this fall and the major next fall, uh, for the full bachelor of science degree in computer science. That's what I have behind me is 
the plans for that that we're working to get approved. Um, and so I, I've done that for, uh, well, for Ivy Tech Community College, I helped them change eight different degree programs over the period of seven years. Wow. So, And then when I left, I was the department chair for not just IT, but also like global studies and um, uh, criminal justice. So there's a lot of, of, of carryover between those different areas. Uh, they wanted to make sure they at least had somebody from uh, the School of IT involved with global studies because it's hard to have global studies without IT these days, right? <laughs> yeah. As a practical matter, that usually gets involved, doesn't it? It, it, it does. And then criminal justice, which I um, we actually started a program there through Ivy Tech and Calumet College of St. Joseph, which officially got off the ground this fall. Um, uh, and they are focused on training like the Chicago PD. They have a great program already there in their master's in public administration, um, but wanted to add in cybersecurity. And most of my friends, and I have some friends in the FBI, fairly high up, um, and, and other areas of law enforcement have been asking for help for cybersecurity. So we've been creating that with that and the, and the uh, National Centers for Academic Excellence grant uh, to put people in there. And then I have the National Science Foundation grant to look at the pathways, why people choose computer science or don't, and what are those barriers to success and how do we improve their life and help them get their goals. The one thing I've seen already is that uh, you're a great communicator and and that uh, uh, you really see the holistic picture of how IT and communication and liberal arts and philosophy, they all kind of fit together in a way that maybe not many people understand anymore. Is that right? I, I think people are resistant to change. So they're... Oh, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. And so you get used to what you think is true. Yeah. And that happens from religion or what they do in their work or whatever it might be. Yeah. And so one of the things that's really interesting to me about computer science, why I've, I've, my life has kind of evolved around that, if you will, um, is that it's always like being on, that's really the latest frontier that we have. You know, we're working on things to get to Mars and other things. That's a long ways off still for, for many of those areas. But computer science, you can build an entire world at your fingertips, right? Much like writing. Yeah. Right? Indeed. Yeah. So if you're really good at what you do in, in computer science, then you're a really good writer. Wow. Yeah. Right. You, you have to be able to tell a story. Right. Oh, isn't that fascinating? Yeah. yeah. A lot of people think uh, those two subjects couldn't be further away from each other. No. Yeah. So if, if you're trying to write code that someone else is going to read, oh, gosh, unless you're yeah. trying to make it where no one else can read it, <laughs> right? That's you easy. Very effective <laughs> at communicating it. Right? That's been done. Let me throw a few go tos in there. And yeah, we'll get this done, bro. We'll get this done up, Brown. Boy, we have to ask you about what is the connection between philosophy and. Uh, computer science and indeed uh, so, so well, well dr uh david lutz um who was dean at the time yes he had just published a paper a couple of years ago actually on ubuntu and ubuntu philosophy oh and right ubuntu in 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 my world in computer science we call it ubuntu right but it's the ubuntu operating system a linux yes. operating system yes right? my desktop that's in storage at my dad's house yes still yes has. Whatever, whatever I'll need to update it to by the time I get it back. But yes. Well, in cybersecurity, Ubuntu is a very popular version of uh, Linux operating system. There's a there's another version called Kali, uh, very specific about uh, how do you uh, prepare and defend against different attacks. But um, and even do with some forensics. But so like Ubuntu African martial is, arts or something. Uh, no. No, I mean, you know, I'm not really sure where the word Kali comes from. I'll have to look that one up. But Ubuntu, I never really thought about that one either. And I, Dave and I were talking about it. And um, and I realized that I just read his paper, actually, about Ubuntu philosophy. And he had written one about using technical skills in a liberal arts education. And uh, totally unrelated. I had no idea he was at this college. <laughs> it just was... Um, Providence from God is what I would say, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and here I am talking to him the next week. I'm like, that's okay. That's not coincidence. <laughs> so, right. Um, because the, the sources where I got into that had nothing to do with, with anything with Catholicism. It was 
just trying to look up some different ideas to explain what was going on and getting deeper into philosophy. So I I just finished teaching uh, the first part of a a discrete logic course, which is like discrete math combined with digital logic Mm -hmm. and and putting those concepts together with philosophy. Uh, When you have a philosophical statement, if something leads to something else, how do we talk about with modus ponens and modus tollens and these different ideas that are taught about in philosophy, but they're not often done in a way that you can actually test it. So fifth generation tools like Flogarithm and Raptor. Raptor was written by the U.S. Air Force Academy. Flogarithm was written by a community college professor that allows students to create a flowchart, their logic, and it writes the code for them. Interesting. Mm. Right. So that's kind of the goal of fifth generation languages. Fourth generation is like um, SQL, uh, JavaScript, these things that have a very specific purpose or report writer. Those languages that aren't really generalized, but MATLAB, fifth generation, maybe. What's that? MATLAB, maybe. MATLAB uh, it can be, right? It can be used for lots of things. MATLAB is based on C. Mm-hmm. That's actually when I did a lot of uh, all my work, actually, in, in functional brain imaging was in MATLAB because I okay. could do matrice based math. So, from the extent that it has that expertise that you can do things with matrices, yeah. it, it really does give you that, that flavor. Um, so yeah, I think it was intended as, as, as to be more of a, a specified language, but it became rather broad and used a lot in, in, in engineering. Yeah. Um, so I teach in our intro to computer science, it's half Python and half MATLAB because Python. Yeah. I also consider that to be kind of like a fourth generation language. Sure. Um, Python is a dream to code in. I like, I learned some C plus plus as an undergraduate and then I yeah. learned some Python just last year. In the mm-hmm. last couple of years, oh my gosh, Python is a dream to code in. <laughs> it is, it is, it is much easier as long as you can deal with the white space stuff. But that's actually, yeah. if you're an English person, like if you're an English major or professor, right? It's actually much easier to read that that uh, structure than the, the uh, in C++ Python than it is you know C plus plus, right? Yeah. yeah, I I hate the the actual like convention that people use to write the way they open the brace on the end of a line. And then that just makes no sense to me anyway. So, yeah, because there are different conventions for that in C plus plus, it can be very difficult. And that's also what turns a lot of people off to computer science is yeah. you're writing in this other language that can be interpreted in different ways by people versus the interpreter of the computer. Right. But sure. people can interpret it and, and, and it can be difficult to understand. So, um, there are still some things about C++ that we can't get away from. It allows us to be a more abstract and um, write code faster than other programs, generally speaking. Yeah. But it's harder and longer to write in that language. But right? it runs so fast. The um, uh, flowgrithm allows them to think through the logic. But so often when people get into a computer science course, like, oh, I just want to code all this stuff. How do I do a for loop? How do I do a while loop? Okay, great. Now what do you do with it? Right. right. When do you use one loop for the other? That's well, that's where I just hit with the current class that I'm teaching. They're like, oh wait, I don't know how many times I have to go through this loop. So a for loop, which is used for iteration, and you definitely you normally have to know how many times you're going to go through it in a for loop. Yeah. If you don't know how many times you're going to go through it, a for loop, is probably not your best solution. You want to go through while this something is true. We keep running through it in a while loop. And then when once we hit a sentinel value or something that breaks that condition, it lets yeah. us out, right? I teach them all that. But until they start going through the examples and trying to do real-life things, they're like, oh, Gosh, wait. Yeah. And they think, oh, that, that's hard. I have, I have a student who's really great. He's working really hard at it. But he's thinking so much about how do I write this code? I'm just going to brute force it out. Yeah. Like, these wonderful tools to think about the logic. Yeah. And... I go up there and I say, okay, I want you to create a project, but do things with use case. What's a use case scenario? What, what is that? It's like use cases are, are functions, right? They tell you what to do. It's like, well, it might be a function, but if I have a person and they want to interact with a bank, an ATM, right? I can create a stick figure of a person and they're going to deposit money. They're going to withdraw money. They're going to do, you know, check their balance. There's certain things that they're going to do. There's uses of that ATM, Right. So if you're writing an ATM, if that's what your your program is, there's going to be that use case. But there's also going to be the use case of the bank teller who's also working with that ATM, right? 
or other people that might come in and do repairs, whatever people might interact with it. It's just creating this graphic image and then writing a story around that. What is it supposed to do? I could write a bunch of code that goes to nowhere, but what's the point of that? And with our software company, my wife and I ran a software company for 14 years. I, I met her when she was franchising uh, Chuck Norris's karate system. That's what she did for her MBA. Oh my. Right. <laughs> and, um, and so we would go into all these different companies that people would, you know, pay them basically by the line of code. So sure. Somebody's going to write 2 million lines of code. So get $2 million and it doesn't work. And you can't right. make head or tail of what it's doing. Right. Wow. So we did quite well in that business, writing things that worked. Right. That sounds you build good. up a reputation, hopefully. Yeah, exactly. But a long uh, relationship. And that's also something people misunderstand about computer science. They think, yeah, you're going to be a computer science person. You're going to be back in some hole somewhere. And, right. and that doesn't work. My daughter is in, into ethical hacking and that kind of stuff. And that's the point. It's sure. ethical hacking, right? Right. Um, I don't really necessarily like using the terms red hat. Well, not red hat, but uh, right. black <laughs> versus different. red hat, right? And yes. gray oh, hat. right. Well, there's also red hat and blue hat as well. That's okay. for like team competitions, right? Sure. But okay. um, and, and you might be the defender. You might be the attacker in a given situation. Usually blue hat's the defender. Red hat's the attacker. But um, we think about like uh, black hat versus white hat hacking is a white hat hacker has been authorized by that company. They've been asked to come in and go in and and do something. A black hat hacker is someone who is trying to take control and and put in a Trojan horse, whatever they might be putting in there, right? A worm, whatever it might be the case Um, and hold everything hostage, right? So the gray hat hacker is someone's like, well, you know, I know there's problems out there, so I'm just going to try this stuff out. And they have no authorization to do that. They may have good intentions, but they're acting in an illegal manner. They're, they yeah. should not be doing that, right? And so we're trying to help provide pathways. One will be through here. A required course that we have for the computer science program here is cyber ops. I, I'm, you know, they had it planned in here a cybersecurity course, which is great, but I have cybersecurity throughout the courses, right? How do you write good code from the start yeah. so that you're not leaving holes, Right. Right. Just like writing a good story. You don't want to have holes in the plot line. Right. right? You don't want to have. Why'd you introduce that character? Why'd you introduce that variable? You don't need that variable. That's just going to leave an uh, opening for someone. Well, yeah. And sometimes people would do that for girls like, well, this just looks cool. I'm like, and what's the purpose of it? (laughs) Right. Yeah. yeah. Or, Or I could put all my code on one line. Like, okay. And that helps. Why? Because I could put it all online. One line, right? That that's a good thing. Like, no, that's an interesting exercise, but it, it's like you know, if I'm a soccer player and I bounce the ball on my head ten times, that's not going to help me very much in a game, right? Right. So, yeah. um, I know it's it's interesting, maybe of its own, but not very practical. Um, and so we get into these things where like AI is used, um, like facial recognition. And the Chicago PD was using facial recognition technology from Microsoft. It's all Microsoft about, I think it's a little over a year ago now, said, no, you can't do that anymore because there's no laws around it. Mm. Hmm. Yeah. Right. We're leaving ourselves there's, open. There's nothing to protect the person who's using it or the person that it might be used against, whether it's used for good purposes or not. There's nothing out there saying how we can use that technology. And it's very powerful technology. Indeed. It's like saying, yeah. oh, well, here, here's Uranium-235. Go play with it. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. 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 And make as, make as big a lump of it as you want. Right. <laughs> Guy. Yeah. You're, you're, uh, I was going to ask, your, um, your description of cybersecurity as something that's kind of interweaved through multiple courses uh, uh, reminds me of uh, you know the situation so typical with business schools and other kinds of schools. As you know, in a business school, they say, "Oh yeah, we we teach ethical business here. We want our students to be ethical." But it's uh, too often been just condensed into one course that teaches you a kind of ethics checklist, how to think about it in a kind of checklist way. 
but the goal is to have uh, ethics uh, interweave throughout the entire curriculum. Am I right? And is that uh, right? Analogous? Yeah, and, and I think the the number here for ethics, uh, I think I've already taken it down as to what I had originally. No, so it was originally listed here as three eighty, right? Uh -huh. So we're moving that to two ninety. But at the beginning of my courses are ethics. When I teach an AI course, the first four weeks is around ethics. Oh, beautiful. And bias. And there's a tool called, uh, a website called code.org. And uh, when I was working at Ivy Tech, uh, I guess about four years ago, my boss, the VP for the school, um, was going to go meet with President Obama. So it's been over four years, right? So it was right, right. towards the end of Obama's term. Um, the... And he said, hey, how are we using code.org and what we're doing? I'm going to talk to President Obama about that at the White House. I'm like, oh, that's that's fantastic. I have no idea what it is. Let me go find out. <laughs> right? <And> so <laughs> I checked it out and I invited the local scout troops to come up to the campus and say, hey, check this out. We can build a Minecraft game in an hour. Sure. Wow. Right. And the kids loved it and said, we're going to recruit eight to 80. And then we said, OK, great. We did it again the next the spring and, and invited uh, people to create your own uh, Star Wars game. And so LucasArts and these other places have built into this website to try to get more people involved with code, coding and those kind of things as early as, you know, age eight, right? Even how do we get things even to kindergarten level, as well as like making sure you're not doing things you shouldn't be doing with these resources, right? Talking about those things from a very early age. Well, one of the things that came out with, um, gosh, it's been a year and a half ago now, is called AI for Oceans, and so you're using categorization, which is one of the techniques used in artificial intelligence, specifically in machine learning. Sure. Right. But it's talking about, does this belong in the ocean or not belong in the ocean? <laughs> right. Yes. Is this a fish or not a fish? Is this right? a motor oil bottle? Right. No, no, and those are, those are pictures that are shown there and you click and you're training the model because with AI, it's like training a child. Yes. You're not writing code anymore. You're training it to do certain things. When you go to, am I a robot in those little things, the CAPTCHA stuff that right. you answer? Yes. You're feeding right. that AI tool. Yeah. Right? You're training it. If you give it bad information, it's going to learn bad things. Hopefully, people will do the right thing. But it comes down to a probability. We know people are going to have differences of opinion on certain things. Like, if I have a, a, a fish with a red body and blue fins... Is that a red fish or a blue fish? Hmm. Uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah. You have to make a determination, right? If the, the if the 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 fish is showing teeth with a big wide what may look like a grin, are they happy? Are they angry? Or are they hungry? Right? Right. But we all have our own internal bias. Yeah. Some of those bias are good, like don't touch the hot stove. Yeah. yeah. And other things are like, well, okay, I shouldn't go hang out with that person because. I don't know anything about them and I'm afraid, right? Yeah. But understanding what those biases are, and we all have some form of bias, um, and being able to address it appropriately so that it does not, um, the word that's coming to, to my mind is obfuscate, but that's not really what I mean. Um, if only there was an English professor here that could help me out with <laughs> <laughs> Well, he'd need, he'd need access to your direct cognition so that he could like, give you a word for it. But, you know, yeah, we're, we're a few right. decades Let me pull up my so. SAT vocabulary guide that right. has been my faithful friend. Uh, but <laughs> I know it Sometime sounds like the 20th uh, century. <laughs> Can I uh, uh, can I uh, do the usual professorial uh, uh, device and uh, switch uh, switch topics? Uh, Here we go. One <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> that's what I use at least. Right. Sure. In any yeah. event, um, I, uh, I I wanted to just ask you about the uh, the cybersecurity direction uh, that mm. you're you're helping to uh, uh, lead students in uh, with the help of this grant that you you run, et cetera. Um, sure. And yeah, it's. Uh, I guess. Uh, oh, and you said that there are f something like five hundred thousand jobs in cybersecurity. Right. If you go to cyberseek.org, cyberseek.org will show you what the current number is. I'm just going to pull it up here and see what that looks like today. But in in a year, it increased from like two hundred some odd thousand to over five hundred thousand. But cyberseek.org, you can go to their heat map. It talks about career pathways and that kind of stuff. 
I think it's just cyberseek.org slash heat map. Let me type that in. How is that spelled? Like Cybersync? Uh, Cyberseek, like um, oh, okay. Cyber C-Y-B-E-R-S-E-E-K, like hide and seek. Yes. And so if I look at the interactive map, that's what I want. Yep. Hey, the job openings have dropped. So that's good in a way. Uh-huh. Right. So 464,000. <laughs> still, still pretty heavy. <laughs> <laughs> that's the job openings out of the 956,000 jobs that are out there. Gee, Half of them are open. Wow. So that, so that's my, my question really. It's, it's kind of like, is this, is this the best news ever? Because it's going to help a lot of young people uh, get uh, really important uh, uh, roles uh, in um, in society with their IT knowledge, uh, or is it the worst thing ever? Because uh, there is this. Uh, obviously, we experience it every day. There's the growing phenomenon of uh, cyber crimes of all sorts. So the uh, uh, phishing uh, and the uh, scamming and spamming and everything else uh what kind what how do you see it in a kind of macro way well let me put it to you in one way i i have a lot of hats that i still wear i'm on the indiana governor's Cybersecurity board for banking and finance as well as workforce development and wherever else they need me in a pinch (laughs) but um i work uh, as a uh it's an unpaid role but um it has other benefits to um the Federal Reserve Bank's helping them with what's worked well in our grants. Like I, I have access to our grants of millions of dollars, and what we've done here in Indiana has worked very well. It has not necessarily worked as well in other states. And so uh, that has given me an audience with um, the state level, federal level, as well as with senators and Congress members about how do we move this, these things in a direction that helps students and how do we help those that like I had, uh, I noticed that with the Department of Labor grant, we had two and a half million for the state, 22,000 employed, but African-American Latino students were doing half as well. So for the last three years, I was in Gary, Indiana, and now those students are performing better than the rest of the state. Beautiful. Um, uh, using a Department of Labor grant we used for seed funding there to help get them internships and jobs going that way and some of the certifications. And so part of that to your question um, is we see certifications and certifications are a part of it, right? If someone doesn't have that work experience, how do you get their foot in the door? Well, certification can certainly help them get noticed. And we've done that through consultations with Cisco, Oracle, Walgreens, huh. you know, all, Intel, IBM, all these different companies who said, these are what we're looking for. We'll even help you do it. We'll even pay for it, for the training, pay for the training for instructors. So, um, we were talking earlier about Python, and that's kind of, even though it's, you know, 30 years old, it's really only seen popularity the last five to 10 years. It's a very easy language to use. So the last four years, I've been training instructors on how to do Python. If you're in networking, even to psychology professors out at UC Berkeley, or now they've added um, um, Python as a required course for psychology majors. Wow, there's statistical analysis, right? And it makes it easy to use. So there's this blending that's moving in. They're starting to see how that works in a a more general sense for people for computer science, for cybersecurity. Um, There's an emphasis on Security Plus. That's the first entry-level DOD-level certification. Now, one of the things I did at, at Ivy Tech that we had a lot of conversations around across the state with the all those campuses and faculty, 150 faculty teaching IT, right? A lot of faculty. And to make a change in curricula there, it took 75% approval from the 19 campuses to make a change. So very difficult to make a change, yet there are ways to add some flexibility. So one of the things with this National Center for Academic Excellence grant um, in cybersecurity, only institutions who hold that designation have access to competing for those funds. Ivy Tech, Purdue Northwest, Purdue West Lafayette and IU Bloomington are the only colleges that that hold that designation in Indiana. There's about 300 colleges across the U.S. right now that have that designation, um, and they have to meet what's called the NICE framework. Uh, That's the National Incentive for Cybersecurity um, Education. They have a ton of acronyms in there, right, in in cybersecurity, 
right? Yes. But so they said, here's what we want to make sure you have, but still have the flexibility to meet your local needs. Here's the that, that minimum criteria. So I'm adding that into what we're doing here at Holy Cross. As I build out this new computer science program, it will be built that way from the start as opposed to trying to change something from the past, but also get people over their fear of math. Yeah. Right. So that was a big factor in why there was a difference between demographic groups. Yes. Um, I don't have to have a research study to tell you that there's a difference in demographic groups and, and attitudes toward, towards math. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, it, it is painfully obvious. Uh, but like I said, the students in Gary and East Chicago are doing better than the rest of the state and more by more of them coming into computer science, which is a calculus based program. There's calculus within it at certain points. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that was false about it was saying that you had to have calculus before you took your first computer science course. No, no. it took me seven years to get that changed. Wow. Gosh. Right? And even here, we're talking about how do we get students to transfer here? Some transferred from Holy Cross to Notre Dame. That's part of the discussion with Notre Dame and the engineering program. If you're going into engineering because of the engineering courses that you get into in your junior year, um, you need to take calculus your first semester or you're going to be in a five-year program. Yes. Right. That's because of those engineering courses. But computer science engineering, the computer science courses don't require that. The engineering courses, the electrical engineering, they do. But computer science is much more than computer science engineering. And so they're now, they've added a computer science bachelor's degree this fall um, in the College of Engineering that's not an engineering program. They also have a computer science program um, that's a BA in arts and letters. And so we're talking back and forth about how do we make these transitions. Our focus here is more on uh, cybersecurity infusion with data analytics and AI, leading to quantum computing, and really a a more theological um, point of view and philosophical point of view yet still having practical use of those skills, right? Yeah. Because they can think about, are we doing the right thing? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's absolutely fascinating, the idea of the theological and philosophical approach mm-hmm. uh, uh, really uh, supplementing and maybe even being at the essence of being a good expert in cybersecurity, uh, uh, something that would be ignored uh, in, in many programs around the country, perhaps. Sure. And even like Ubuntu philosophy, which I didn't realize until I read uh, Dr. Luke's paper on Ubuntu philosophy, was that it's often we think about we think of extremes with um, capitalism and communism. Mm-hmm. Right. Economic theory. One is everything's for the state. So that's good. Or everything's good for the individual. So that's the good thing to do. Right. And either one of those in their extremes are good for people. Right. Right. Um. Ubuntu philosophy says if it's good for the, um, and and hopefully I'm saying this right, I'm not a philosophy uh, professor, but uh, what's good for the group should also be good for the individual, not because it's good for one or the other. It must be good for both. It's bilateral, right? So if we think about philosophical logic or computer logic, we have this, you know, arrow pointing both ways. It can't be one to the other, not, not an if then. It's if and only if. Like, right. you know, I, I use the argument in the class of like uh, Joseph and Mary. Joseph likes Mary, right? If Joseph likes Mary, then Mary likes Joseph. But it's actually an if and only if. They both liked each other, right? right. It, it had to happen that way. Maybe the story is a little bit, you're not quite sure about Joseph at first at the beginning of the story, right? Right. <laughs> right. He's not yeah. quite sure. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. But none of this would be working if it wasn't working both ways, right? Yeah. And so right. that's what the philosophy is. It can't, if we're, if it's only good for the group and it hurts the individual, that's not a good thing to do. Right. But certainly yeah. if it's only good for the individual and not good for the group, it's not a good thing to do either. Right. Yeah. Are you optimistic about being able to find, or just a society at large, being able to find and train and uh, uh, utilize the talents of uh, roughly 500,000 uh, uh, students and young people who have that combination of, uh, of interest in IT, maybe based on uh, video games they played growing up, uh, plus all of the ethical interests and the, the interests in the common good, uh, it sounds like that's that increasingly that's uh, uh, making a big order uh, for uh, human beings 
in the way that we teach and in the way we live these days? Yeah, so I, I am very optimistic. One of the things, uh, another grant that I have with uh, Rutgers University on the, uh, from the National Science Foundation is studying why people choose their pathways in computer science, what are those barriers to success. And we ask them, like at, at Ivy Tech, there are eight different programs in the School of IT Computer Science being one of the ones that most people knew, over 76% knew of computer science, or at least they thought they knew what it was, right? Right. But almost the same percentage thought that they also knew what cybersecurity was, and they actually did know what that was, right? So cybersecurity actually has better understanding than, than computer science to people these days. And that's even before solar winds and these other things that have hit us this past year um, have put it even further into the news on, on these different attacks. Here in Indiana, uh, four years ago, it was a bit of a struggle for the waterways to understand why they needed to have um, uh, a cybersecurity plan. Like, oh, nobody's going to attack us here. We just got like the Wabash and these other things that we're having to deal with, right? Um, Nobody's worried about this stuff. I'm like, well, you know what? We have these devices here in South Bend that when the snow melts, right, it redirects the flow, through our sewage systems, right? So we're not causing flooding. And so those computer devices that are redirecting the flow are being used during that time period. Otherwise, they're just sitting there. But they're just sitting there. If they're not kept maintained, that now can be used by an attacker to help attack other systems. Wow, That's what we call a zombie. So if we don't take care of that properly, we have zombies in our sewers. Right? (laughs) is something that almost any piece of pop culture would tell you to avoid if you can. <laughs> yeah, right. There you go. <laughs> and it could be a pop culture uh, uh, product. <laughs> and so, there you, go. you know, and at first, like, okay, well, hey, uh, all right, I, I get that now. And now I understand why, but that's only in South Bend. They're the only people that are going to do that. Like, really? Do you think it's going to stay here like that? How long was it before, you know, 15 years ago, I had two cell phones because I needed coverage on different networks as I traveled across the U.S., right, Uh, to maintain my clients in IT. But now uh, you don't need that because there's coverage, but everybody's got a cell phone, and it's not just a flip phone or something. You can do most of your work off your phone these days. And and so, um, you know, that technology changes and adapts as people see advantages to what they're doing. I'm sure there are other municipalities that don't want to have to deal with flooding, not just South Bend. Right. And so they, they, they took it serious. Right. Yeah. And, 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 and part of the issue that we have with cybersecurity education is that um, I, I love working with people from all over the world. I think, I think it's awesome. But what's happened is most of our engineering professors are not from the U.S., yeah. My right. biomedical engineering program I was in, I was one of 300 graduate students, the only one from the U.S. Oh, my goodness. None of my professors were from the U.S. Right. Right. Um, if we look at Texas A&M and at Purdue West Lafayette, the majority of the professors are not from the U.S. I, I was called into a conference a couple of years ago by the Department of Commerce at a uh, Rolls-Royce at the Rolls-Royce facility in Indianapolis to talk about espionage in academia. Our government's ha- been having the issue of things like at University of Tennessee. They had someone working on doing work on stealth research on um, using plasma to affect the stealth technology of drone planes. That person held a dual citizenship with the U.S. and Iran. Hmm. Um, well, he started shipping shipping containers full of materials of stuff from home back to his home address in Iran through Hong Kong. Well, yeah, they were all of his plans. Right. Wow. And so that, that is a, that is an issue that we have because of a lack of taking math education seriously and how do we get people into it in a way that that's useful. So like even in computer science, if they, if people see, Oh, I got to take calculus in the first semester. They're like, okay, next. Right. Or, as we saw at, at, at Ivy Tech, there were students that were trying in a two-year program. Four years later, they still haven't taken a computer science class because they're trying to get into that because they can't pass calculus. Instead, what we've now done is change it so that for here, I want students to take stats. Yeah, right? I still want to take calculus, but they don't have to take it right away. If they want to take it right away. Awesome. 
But if they're not ready for it, take stats. Stats can get you a job right now. Yeah. And, and calculus is a good math deal. I'm, I guess before I'm, I'm not, uh, I don't love math, but I love what math can do for me. Right. And calculus one is one of those that's like a lead on. You have to take another course for it to really make any sense. Yeah. Right. It's there within the machine. Right? Later. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and we've, we've never, uh, that's a whole other subject. Right. But, <laughs> but if we can inject those methods of calculus into our computer science, which we have done, now students can see where that's used like, oh, wait, maybe I do want to go take that course. And so AI and machine learning, which were techniques, I had all this education and practical experience going into it to make this stuff work for like traumatic brain injury and stroke. How do we analyze that, you know, gigabytes of data per second um, for functional brain imaging? It was a lot of information that which we now can do through machine learning. But we have these techniques out there like that code.org and AI for oceans where students can work with real machine learning technology to train these things. Well, now I can use fifth generation tools where they don't have to know how to code. They have to know how to build relationships. That's right. when to use it. And so that's where we get into it and say, Hey, how do we move people in that direction? How do we let them know that computer science, you don't have to be that coder with a hoodie on back in the back corner. You can go around and talk to text. people and, and build it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Well, uh, Paul, uh, I don't want to uh, monopolize all the time on uh, on my kind of sociological and uh, uh, economic interests. Uh, any any scientific questions before we uh, start wrapping up, or anything from your your unique uh, perspective that combines philosophy and science? Oh gosh. Um. You know, I did want to actually just try to ask a little bit about, like, the privacy issue and, like, the morality of that. Um, sure. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's been something that I've wondered about for a long time since, you know, the 20th century, the second millennium, hence the name. But uh, <laughs> about, like, and you mentioned the sort of, like, public versus private interest or, you know, group versus individual interest. Um. I wanted to, to at least throw out the question of to what degree does our legal and sort of legal philosophical infrastructure overvalue or undervalue privacy? Well, so if we look at the U.S. versus Europe, there's a big difference. Um, in Europe, your data is your data. And then you have to give away those rights in order for someone to, to have it, basically. In the United States, for the most part, your data is not your data. Uh, there are some very restrictive use cases, uh, such as um, your education data, certain parts of it, right? And your financial information may or may not be, depending upon what's going on. That's pretty gray, actually. Yeah. Um, well, your health information. Y- your health information is supposed to be kept private. And that is kept private. I have to tell you, on that stuff, um, it's very difficult even if you're doing a legitimate research to get access to that data, you can get access to it for research purposes, but often with only aggregate information. Um, So there's a lot coming from biomedical engineering that we got deep into that. um, And I've applied that to other areas or tried to apply it to other areas about the ethics of, of are we working with people in a way that's, that's um, a way we should like some of the experiments that were done in California. I can't remember if that was Stanford I should know this one off the top of my head. I don't want to blame the wrong college, but right. um, where they were the prison experiment, right? Oh, yeah. Um, that Stanford? That sounds familiar. Yeah, you know, I could probably just Google it, right? But the, uh, the, the prison experiment that was done there, uh, they had people acting as the prison guards and some people acting as the prisoners. And very yeah. soon they were actually doing those roles. Yeah. And it went very much out of control. Yeah, that was Stanford. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of great things out of Stanford too, but that was not a great thing. That's not right. Right. right? No. But you know, even the early stages of, of working with uh, radiation, we didn't really know what we were doing with it. Sure. So a lot of oh, bad yeah. things happened there. Um, and, and things that we've done in many other areas. So when it comes to technology, now we've got the same kind of game going on. You have so much power at your fingertips. Mm-hmm. 
when I go to teach a student something about hacking, do I want to teach them everything I know about ha- hacking? Uh, no, yeah. <laughs> right? I'm, right. I'm not going to. But a- as I develop trust, I, I, I want more people to get involved because, like I said, I got too many hats. I need other people to pick up some of these things so yeah. I can spend more time with my family. Right. Yes. Um, but I, I feel like the, the, the boy at the dam trying to put his finger in every little hole. Yes. And there's other people working with me, but not enough. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so even on this National Center for Academic Excellence grant, I'm the only principal investigator on that grant that was born here in the U.S. All of us are U.S. citizens. Uh-huh. And the other people, I, I'm, I, I'm not disparaging them at all. They're they are fantastic U.S. citizens. But my point being is we've recruited people from other countries to help us with our cybersecurity. Right. Right. That's something, yeah. And right. how much? And how much of that is? I mean, is some of that economic? Is it that there's these people aren't in academia; they're just making you know barges so of cash elsewhere. Okay, so some people think that we bring in people into uh, universities from foreign countries because those universities are making more money off of it, and that's that's completely false. Well, when yeah. people come in from another foreign country, they're usually here on scholarship, which gives them in student in state rates. Sure. Right. Yeah. Or they're even getting they're getting that scholarship. So they're getting it for free. Right. Yeah. So the yeah. universities are not uh, actually making that money. If you look at it, um, the chief cybersecurity officer for the Texas A&M system gave a talk there. And there's this exponential growth over the past uh, 20 years of people coming from other countries into the engineering programs. Mm-hmm. And what happens? Well, those are the same people who go into the doctoral programs that then yeah. become professors. Yeah. Right. And many of them are, are very great U.S. citizens, right? We're a country of immigrants. Um, that's a beautiful thing. But where are the people that, that were born here, right? Their children, right? right? What right. What's happening, right? Right. Yeah, I mean, so the, the question I was meaning to ask is if an mm-hmm. equally credentialed person of American birth, are, are there equally credentialed people? Is it simply that they don't exist? They don't or? exist. They don't. Uh, they don't even, you know, you know, pull off that track. Say after a master's degree and go elsewhere. They simply, you know, they haven't even gotten that far. No. So if you go, if, if you graduated from Notre Dame, you might have a very skewed view on that, right? If, if mm-hmm. you think all universities are that way, they're not, right? Um, Texas A and M, the same way. It was it's ninety seven percent white. Still, when I was there, it was ninety nine percent thirty years ago. Yeah. These are things I track with those colleges. And one of the reasons why I like going to Holy Cross, we're almost a minority serving institution, which is where I grew up. It was very much a, a conglomerate of different people. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I love those differences of opinion. Um, yet in the engineering programs at the colleges, even if you look at Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. Right. Where are they coming from? Take a good look at that. Right. Um. It's it it is an issue that we have to find a way to encourage more people that are current U.S. citizens, right? Even if they their parents came from China and now they're a U.S. citizen, how their children? How do we get them to go through and become uh, yeah. get into these programs? That's a, that's an issue for them too. It's not just like yeah people coming from Europe, right? It's it's from any country. Once they come here, their children in our school systems in general and our K twelve systems have this difficulty. So. Yeah. Part of what we're doing is adding in um, dual credit, dual enrollment. That's worked well. That's part of the success that we had there in, in Lake County was integrating with charter school systems. So one of the things I hope to do here is, is do that with um, the parochial school system because they've oh, been wow. left out of that for the most part yeah. um, so that they have that opportunity. Now, students tend to go to college out of a parochial school. Yeah, That's not as big of an issue, but they don't necessarily go into computer science. They might think it's cool. I can make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. But there's more to life than making do money, something else. Right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. To see that vocational side of it, yeah, yeah. There's a whole. There's there's yet another whole episode we could potentially do about the way our culture, both within and outside our educational institutions, shapes us when we're young to think what is and isn't desirable. Yeah. Again, the the core courses that are here. Um, focusing with such an emphasis on theology, um, upper level English, even right. Um, philosophy that are required in the core curricula here as part of this liberal arts college. 
is totally in tune with where we should be taking computer science. And if you talk to, um, oh gosh, I always mess up his name. The Dallas Mavericks coach, Mark Cuban, right? Oh, okay. Mark Cuban graduated from IU Bloomington. And he's been talking about this for a long time. I don't know that I'd necessarily agree with him totally where he's saying we won't need coders at all in the future. Mm. Somebody still has to do coding and fix that stuff in the back end. Right? Yeah. To some extent. Um, uh, he was saying like in five years, and that was four years ago, we won't need people to be doing programming <laughs> anymore. Right. Um, and it's easy for me to say that now, but I was saying it then too. I was like, no, we're right. still going to need people to program. And maybe, 15 years from now, that may not be the case. I don't know that it's going to happen any time sooner than that. Once we have AI that can actually write the code for us without us introducing um, new syntax, and it can really adapt at that level, then maybe we won't need people to code. But uh, there's a lot to figure out there. And do we even want to allow that to happen? Right. Yeah. That's what right, are the though. limits that we should put on it, right? Yeah. Beyond don't kill a human. Well, there's a lot of things that could. <laughs> right. Don't kill a human direction. directly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Oh, my. Yeah. Yeah. Gee, the connections just uh, are so numerous. And you're right. There, there are many ep- oh. episodes and conversations that we could Let's, have. Yeah. Uh, and thank you very much for starting us. On those uh, conversations, uh, yeah. And uh, so uh, let's uh, uh, just uh, thank you, Matthew, and um, hope to be uh, back in conversation with you some sometime soon. And sure. really good luck and all the best blessings for your work as an educator and uh, mentor and uh, kind of apostle of great uh, uh, information science uh, at Holy Cross College. I appreciate it, Bill. And, and Paul, it's nice to, to, to meet both of you yeah. um, and, and get a chance to talk more than yeah. just a few minutes in passing. So thank yes. you. Be great yeah. to hope, hope to see you up there in northern Indiana sometime in you know, the relatively near future. That would be great. Yeah. That would be great. Thanks for listening to this episode of That's So Second Millennium. TSSM's audio producer is Morgan Burkhardt. Our theme music, Igneous Grok, was composed and performed by Vin Marquardt. For my co-host, Bill Schmidt, I'm Paul Geesting. Until next time.